Hello and welcome to a special edition of the RTE Rugby Podcast. I'm delighted to say I have Tackle Your Feelings Ambassadors Emer and Ailish Considine on the line. Emer, obviously Ireland International at Rugby and Ailish Considine, AFLW two-time championship winner with the Adelaide Crows. Hi girls, um, I'll actually start with Emer. Emer, how is your leg? Yeah, my leg is on the main this grant. It'll be, it'll be fine in a few weeks' time. It's media ligament injury, so right. Um, good timing that it's off season. There's plenty of time to rehab and everything, so I'll be back in in a few weeks. Did you need an operation? No, oh, thank you. No, that's good because Greg said maybe twelve weeks. That was his kind of initial thing. Yeah. Um, but do you know details of this summer tour? Have you still got your eye on that, or do you think maybe? Yeah. I- I suppose that's what I'd be aiming for. Like it is, yeah, a twelve week injury, like Greg said, um, and that it's good to have some kind of a target in in sight that I can aim towards something. Yeah. Um, if if I'm selected or whatever select whatever squad that he picks, you know, I can at least try and aim for that and try and aim to, to put up my hand for a selection for that tour as well. Um, ahead of preseason. Was it a collapsed mall or something? Because we saw you coming out onto the pitch after, um, which was great to see you out there and, and singing the songs and all that. But what happened? What was the actual incident? Oh yeah, like I tried to just tried to tried to get in. I'll never try and do it again. <laughs> tried to get in on a on a ball because they'd like they'd obviously ran in a few malls and as a blind ring, you're kind of just holding the blind, wondering like you know what can I do if someone peels off the back of the mall. So uh, there was no one peeling off the back of the malls because they were just running over the line. So I tried to just get in, stop them grounding it, and I didn't. I didn't work. That didn't work at all, and I ended up getting landed on by the full the full English pack. But um. Yeah, oh, look, I was it was very sore at the time, and then obviously wanted to get out there. My my mom, and my brother were at the game as well, so I wanted to try and head out to them. Um, so I've learned my lesson. I'll go. I'll, okay. I'll go to their malls and let, let the forwards get on with their business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very good, Eilish. Congratulations! I haven't spoken to you since you since you won uh, your your title again. That's brilliant. Um, it's all sunk in again. We said relief immediate immediately after it, but obviously there must be. Great, great source of joy in getting the second title for yourself. Yeah, of course. Like it's it's unbelievable to to think. Um, you know, when I started off in in twenty eighteen in a preseason, and you know, four four seasons in to have two premierships is just unbelievable. It's it's still a little bit hard to grasp that it's you know two premierships um, since I've been here at Crows. So it's. Not well and truly sunk in, but uh, it's certainly you know been able to enjoy you know the everything that goes with it and enjoy you know the hard work and effort that went into to get into this this part of the season and you know getting the reward at the end of it. And what are you still doing out in Australia? Because I remember we were speaking. There was all these problems logistically getting home with quarantine and and isolation when you get here. That's kind of relaxed a bit now, and you're still hiding out. Yeah, weather is keeping it. It has uh, eased off a lot, which is which is great, makes things a lot easier for coming and going. But um, unfortunately, the AFL have come out with saying that the season may start in, in mid June for preseason, so that has kind of left a lot of us in limbo and, and not very sure on what the next stage is. So um, it's left us a very tight time frame here um, in a in a very short off season. So at the moment, I'm just keeping the head down, doing a little bit of training, um, trying to keep a little bit fit over the off season, and kind of just waiting to see what happens with with next season and and whether or not that that pursues in in mid June or if you know they decide to change it again. But at the moment, we're a little bit in limbo and just and waiting to, waiting for confirmation on that. And similar to 
Emer there with the deadline, like, do you know when you will know? I mean, obviously, they'll have to come up with it soon, but I mean, they can't just announce a couple of days beforehand. They'll obviously have to give notice. Um, we don't have a deadline, and unfortunately, we're uh, we're we're pretty much in the dark as players, um, because at the moment, the contract bargaining agreement, the CBA between the AFL Players Association and the AFL itself is completely finished their deal was finished this this year so for the men and the women so a whole new deal has to be made so that means our pay packages our tier systems our contract length our season length our season timing everything is up for negotiation so at the moment there are loggerheads going between each other the player association are looking for certain amounts and the AFL are coming back with counter um, arguments so we're just kind of waiting to hear and you know the, the AFLPA don't want to get us you know a lesser deal than what we deserve so they're they're asking us to be patient in, in the negotiations so that you know we can get the best deal possible as, as a playing group yeah. That's all ahead of you Emer. Negotiations <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> um, Nicola was saying just after the, the Scotland match that Maybe the best idea is not a one-size-fits-all template, but a bespoke solution to, to different players who are in different stages of their career. For, for you, for example, um, a teacher there, what, what would it look like from your point of view if there had to be bespoke contracts that would really suit you? Yeah, like I suppose I have a full-time job here and I have a career that I need to look at. Um, like I imagine I'd taken their templates off other nations and I'd be interested to see how other nations are doing. It maybe it might be something like a part-time part-time contract maybe on, on both sides or on either side that I might go part-time here or that it might be a part-time like I actually have no idea of how the logistics will work or um what stages of a the contract there will be and I imagine there will be different stages I know with Ailish there's different tiered ones I know with like the sevens there's different tiers and stuff like that and I imagine in England and Wales a similar similar situation wherever there are contracts um and I imagine they'll just look at those different nations to try and try and fix stuff and Nick is probably right in that it won't be a one-size-fits-all model because not everyone will be able to do it, I suppose. And then, you know, we've obviously not everyone is based in Dublin. So it's, it's a, I suppose there's a lot of logistics to work around and it definitely isn't going to be a decision that will made, be made overnight. And I imagine there'll be a lot of negotiations and collaboration among um, the union and, and the players whenever this does, you know, it's really just been thrown out in the media there last week. Um, so we, we actually don't know the ins and outs of anything to do with it. But look, it is very exciting that there is talk of contracts because if we are to compete, I suppose, with the likes of England, you know, it's it's really positive, and it's a positive step in the in the right way for it. Tell me about a little bit about your impressions of Greg after working with him for a campaign, because he came in as kind of a different coach, a kind of a holistic guy with um, eyes on bigger bigger prizes, not just wins and all that. So, what's your impressions of Greg compared to other coaches you've um, you've worked under? Yeah, like I suppose he came in and he was. Um, we did those girls hubs in Dublin um, and around the around the provinces. I was obviously in the Dublin one and, you know, really focused on the technical areas and the technical skill side of things and like the catch pass. And I think you could see those elements, um, you know, coming into our game with the catch pass and that. And, you know, our handling areas played down quite a bit. And um, there was some really great, I suppose, moments of attack in some of the games as well. So I suppose it's that side of things. And it's also, you know, we've really gelled as a squad, I suppose, from creating that culture of um, togetherness and that we're building, we're on, this, we're on this journey together and creating that as a whole. So it is, look, it's going in the right direction. He's got a plan and I suppose it's just the first step of that plan and that we're we're heading on an upward journey. 
Yeah, and especially it was it was fantastic to win with it or to end with it with a win the other night and in the manner it did, I suppose it just changes the humour as well for the for the whole for the next couple of months to be able to look back on that victory. Can I just want to talk to you about the just the handling errors when you said about there, like I was I was counting up and there was quite quite a lot of handling errors from the from the team. And I as I knew I was talking to Ailish as well. I checked out and the ball size they use in uh, AFLW is smaller. The ball size they use in women's NBA is smaller. In ladies Gaelic football that you have played is smaller. Is there a reluctance to, to have a look at that or to discuss that in, in women's? Because I know that the f- girls rugby, they play with a size four, including up to under 18. And all of a sudden you could be going to senior grade playing with a ball that you, you would have, wouldn't have experience with. How do you feel about that? Do you think it's worth a discussion considering the other sports that have no problem playing with a smaller ball? Yeah, I suppose since you said that, it's probably made me more aware of it. And like even, yeah, Camogie as well, they play with a size four, with a size four slitter. Um, and I suppose it allows us to do more skills. We probably would be able to do like, like my hands aren't big enough to do like a, you know, a one-handed offload or something like that. But maybe if there was a smaller ball, I just probably thought of that right there, that it, it might allow for you to be a bit slicker in your in your offloads or um, I suppose naturally we we have smaller hands and that's probably yeah. the reason behind it. It's just our, our physiology. It's nothing to do with, you know, yeah. we can't, we're not able to play with the size five ball. It's more just our skills might improve if we had a, a smaller ball. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, it's a really interesting argument. And that the fact that a lot of other sports around the world do use a size four ball, yeah. I actually don't know the reasons why we use a size five ball, but I suppose it's worth the discussion, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And there's different rules in women's AFL, various things, but the, the smaller ball, whatever size it is that you use, that must help to some degree in making it. And we're in an era now where we want more eyes on the game. And I'm just looking at the figures for the England-France match, which was three quarters of a million on BBC. And in order to pull in more viewers, we need few, fewer handling errors, like the same as any level. What, what benefits do you think does it do for AFLW Ailish? Yeah, like it just makes sense because, like as Emer said, like we we have we have smaller features as as female athletes, or so our hands are not as big as, as as male. So it's just an obvious thing to have a smaller ball because you know the the differences um, physically between male and female. It just makes sense to have a ball that fits better in you know in a woman's hand when you know they're trying to play a sport. And like for me, I've picked up a couple of size five, but you know the men play with, and it feels like picking up a size five football. You know, for Gaelic football, it, there's such a difference. Like it's the same concept, but like that ball is slightly heavier. It's um, it's slightly bigger. It's slightly harder to control. Whereas it's just that little bit easier to grasp and get that skill level a lot, you know, more accurate and you know steady in your hand. You know, especially for a sport with an oval ball, it makes all the difference because if my hand isn't, which it isn't, it's not big enough to get around a size five AFL ball, but it just about grasps a size four. But if if my hand is constantly slipping every time I drop the ball to my foot, my kick is not my kick execution is going to be quite poor, you know, maybe 50 yeah. percent. So it's the same for rugby, like with with Emer and like and the, the talks of, of handling errors that, that go with women's rugby. If you introduce a smaller ball, they catch the ball easier. It's just it's it's a matter of fact. It's a matter of science. It's not anything to do with the lack of skill level that's there. It's just you're playing with a slight disadvantage. And, you know, women in in especially rugby circles you know like Emer said she didn't even realize that they play with a size five in comparison to those sports that you know have an obvious difference between the male and female counterparts so for me I think it's an obvious um you know it's an obvious change for for women's rugby to make it's just 
a genetic thing that you know women have smaller hands and then a better grip will you know make for better skill execution yeah, even within even the game with, and better kicks with you with the, like you know, she could kick a 45 over the bar from with a size four but there's no way you get it with a size five no. over the bar just the, Nowhere the near, heaviness just... the heaviness and the yeah of the ball yeah i know that world rugby a couple of years ago did an experiment with a size 4.5 and I think the feedback they got wasn't that positive, but I mean, it's certainly something worth exploring now, considering we're, we're trying to move on again onto the next level with, with women's sports across the board. Can I just ask you, Emer, what you made of the, the officials over the Six Nations? Greg had to hold his tongue at one stage over some things he wasn't happy about, which is fine enough. And we were talking about it after, and we know that we want more women to become involved in refereeing and they have to see them. But I would say there's kind of a hierarchy there that the players who are going out there should be put first and maybe put with some more experienced referees, experienced international referees, because there was some shocking decisions over the course of that um, Six Nations campaign. Would you, would you think it'd be beneficial to have more experienced international referees now that you have a standalone window in order to improve the, the game across the board for the spectators as well as the players? Um, I suppose you can't get experience without experience. That's the first yeah, thing. Should That's it the hard one. It's the same when you go for a job. Yeah, no. should it come at the expense of you guys playing at the top level with a first real standalone window? That's that's just sorry, the, the, the question, really. Yeah, it, it, you don't know the... Like, I don't know the issues that, that Greg might have had with the referees and that, but like we're just the players and well, that's Nicola's job to deal with the referee and communicate with the referees. Um, I don't necessarily think it's, you know, just an inexperienced woman referee. I think there is experienced referees out there in general. Yeah. Um, I, I just think they have to learn somewhere. You have yeah. to, same way, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll get onto the big stage and you might not do well and then you'll go out again and you'll have to try harder the next time, try better. I suppose they've been constantly analysed and they've been constantly given feedback the same way us as players are constantly been given feedback and analysed and you're not going to get it right. You're yeah. not going to get it right in your first cap. Um, yeah. No one does. And I suppose you just have to be patient no matter whether they're male, whether they're female. Yeah. And that, like that, you can't get experience without experience. What's the standard like in uh, FLW for the referees? Is there a lot of complaining about them, uh, Ailish? Ailish doesn't even know the rules. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I I personally can't complain too much, but um, yeah. Look, it, it's it's been a bit inconsistent, probably more noticeable this year, probably because I know the rules a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like we've had a few noticeable games where there's been a couple of inconsistent calls, and it's just. You know, it's just part of the game at times, you know, when, when you have human referees, you're going to have human error. And that's, you know, people will see the game slightly different in, in certain aspects. And I think, um, yeah, there's you're always going to have frustration when, you know, everyone is a bit on the line as well. And, you know, frustrations are high in general when you're, you know, playing at that level. And um, emotions are certainly running high too. So, um, like it is what it is. And I think at the end of the day, as players, we just have to respect the decision that's there and, and try our best not to... Um, you know, disrespect the referee when, you know, they're going out there doing their best too. And they sometimes don't always get it right. We sometimes don't always get it right. So that's just, I think that's just part of the game and part of the learning curve that goes with it. What sort of growth or movement have you seen in, in the, the mental health area in terms of people being more open about their feelings and that? I suppose it had more or less been, been a, a bigger problem in, in male sport and, and male society that girls have tended to 
be more open about their, their feelings to one another. H- have you seen much growth over the last couple of years, Ailish, in that department? Yeah, I think so. And like, especially here um, in Australia, like we have a, a designated, um, you know, wellness um, position at, at our club. And I, I'm pretty sure there's one in every club, but the Players Association have been great in terms of offering, you know, free consultations with um, sports psychologists, you know, general psychologists, everything that, um, you know, to speak about mental health and, you know, work through anything that you have going on in your life. And it's a great service to have. Um and I think for the majority of, of, I think overall, I think even the Players Association can report that the services are being used by a lot more women than they are by men. So obviously women are, women in sport are, are more open to talk about, you know, um, their life and, you know, their ups and their downs and, and that side of things. So it's certainly an aspect that, you know, you can see here the AFL are trying to grow with that, you know, you need to speak out and you need to speak about, you know, your problems and, and things that are, you know, um, not necessarily going your way and, and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, your mental health and your well-being is so important that because, you know, you can't just go out in the field and pretend everything's okay and, and have a great game. If it's a career, it's not just a, you know, a, a, a one day thing. It's you train week in, week out every single day and you need to be, you know, whole as a person. It can't just be about the sport. Um, and I think people are realizing that the, the happier players that they have, you know, the better performing players that you have and overall person that you have on, on a squad. So I think, especially, you know, at our club at Adelaide, they really focus on, you know, the personal side of things and, and the person behind the player. And I think that's a really important aspect that, you know, playing groups should have in, in their squad and it should be a really important factor for, for every squad to have. And Eva, I know you're running in for short, sharp bursts with the Ireland squad and, and you're working full time as well. But do you are, are there facilities there or resources there amongst your squad there that people are free to open up or to talk to somebody if they need to? Yeah, we um, obviously work with our players union quite um, closely. And obviously, I'm, we're very happy to be involved with Tackle Feelings campaign. I've been involved as an ambassador for quite a while so it's just a really good well-being campaign that is not just for rugby players for everyone and there's also tackle feeling school campaign which i which is currently running in my school as well and across the country which is really really good well-being resource listen thanks Ailish, and thanks Eamor. thanks very much for your time thanks very much. Much.